So at the core, we're, we're complex movements and complex movements, the word complex comes from our, our collective belief that complexity science gives us a new way to think about how change happens in the world. It moves from this idea of critical mass to critical connections. Hello, friends. My name is Gibran Rivera. I'm a facilitator, and this is my podcast. Here, I am inviting you into a conversation with remarkable leaders who are devoting their lives to the evolution of consciousness and culture. In this episode, I'm introducing you to my friend, Sage Crump. Sage is an artist with the Complex Movements Artist Collective. She's a facilitator, a wisdom holder, a brilliant theory head, and she's the new chief architect of the Emergent Strategy Ideation Institute. This is a fun, beautiful, stimulating, wide-ranging conversation, and I can't wait for you to get to know her. Thank you for listening. Sage, it's so good to see your face and to, to have you here on the podcast. Thank you for saying yes. I can't wait to catch up with you. Me too. I, I have been following the podcast, and when the invitation came, I was like, yes. Uh, I always enjoy the time we have when we talk together. It's too far and few between. And and so this feels very precious I to am me. so I'm grateful, grateful too. And as I, I mentioned to you in a note, I'm experimenting with a different kind of beginning. And I'll tell you a little bit about that. So the question I'm going to ask you, and I'll tell you why I'm asking that question, is can you share a belief that you once held, once held closely that you might no longer think is true or you have got to change your relationship to it. And, and the reason why I'm asking this is because as I witness polarization in the country, uh, it seems like people are really calcifying on, on positions on right and wrong on, on either side, right? Whether it be the right or the left, it seems like people are getting really, really rigid about their beliefs. I, I, I refer to it as, as fundamentalism. And I, I thought, well, what would happen if I start the question, if I cannot emphasize on the podcast more often that, that we grow by changing our minds? And I'll, I'll give you just as an example for you and for our listeners. I uh, grew up a Puerto Rican nationalist. It was a central part of my identity. Anybody that met me knew I was a nationalist. Um, my father was a nationalist and... Uh, I just embraced it. And it was kind of the lens through which I saw everything. I was like Puerto Rican first, you know? And over the years, as I started to question nationalism itself or the role of countries and borders, right? And, and seeing that nationalism actually tends to be a right-wing ideology, you know? Uh, I started to let go of that belief, but it's really amazing to me to, to look at it right now and not feel any sense of nationalism. I mean, I'm still proud of my culture, but I don't hold that kind of political nationalism. And it feels so freeing to not have to have that lens on everything. It was like everything that was Puerto Rican had to be good by virtue of being Puerto Rican. And anything that wasn't was just a little less good, you know? Uh, yeah. and, and you really put bind yourself by these ideologies. And uh, I just wanted to, like, open the first volley by sharing one of my beliefs. Uh, and so I was curious as to 
what one of those might be for you. And, and of course, we'll back our way into your story and your work. But I thought we'd start right there with, with, with a change of mind and heart. Yeah, I, I love this question. Um, it's one of the reasons I, I have some of the, the elders and some of the people I follow is because they were folks who held very strong ideas, but were cha- able to change over time and grow um, by, and be informed by what's around them and how they changed. And so for me, the first thing that came to my mind um, was this notion of Black excellence. I, I grew up in a, you know, half as far, twice as hard kind of, you know, place in this idea that I had to personally be excellent. But excellent was always an external eye, right? I always had to look excellent to someone else. It was this idea that like you had to, you know, in order to to um, represent the race, in order to, to represent Black people, like to be in spaces, um, you were always, I was always trained to think about how folks would look at me and make decisions about Black people. And holding on to that required an incredible amount of pressure, right? Like an incredible amount of like um, externalization of my own value. And I don't believe it anymore. Not that I don't believe in excellence. Not that I don't believe there are things that are Black people that are doing that are excellent. But as a personal um, um, uh, directional it no longer served me. It it no longer serves me um, because it doesn't allow for my full humanity. It doesn't. It does. It means I can't possibly call and ask for an extension on a deadline that was going to require me to work th- till three a.m. for the next three days. Right? Like you just. Oh no! Like you can't do that. You know. Where now I'm like. deadlines are suggestion if you ask me like I don't you know I'm gonna do my best but you know if I have to call someone I have to call someone you know because I'm I'm I am equally as interested in being considered someone of value to others as I am to caring for myself uh, and making sure that I am able to walk through the world with a level of health and and self-possession and self-determination and so um, I have, much to my poor mother's chagrin, <laughs> laid aside <laughs> the idea uh, of needing to perform Black excellence for others. That is, that is a very powerful uh, one. I appreciate your saying it. I am sure it resonates with a lot of our listeners, right? It's like, I think, I think achiever types, A-type personalities... Um, are already have this drive, but when you when you're a person of color, yeah. uh, there's all kinds of layers mm-hmm. on top of it, right? Um, uh, and, and so I, th- I think there's something really liberating in what you're saying. Thank you for being absolutely. Generous like I said, I think it's a, it's that. an amazing question. I think a lot about how do we get outside of binaries, and and when you lock yourself into an ideology, then then it limits your your possibility, what you actually see as possibility in the world. And and I'm interested in like. How do we how do we become more generative? How do we see more? How do we put ourselves in ways uh, um, that that uh, um, are surprising even to ourselves? That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's really powerful. I I am. Uh, well, I want to say two things. I want to comment on that, but I first want to say what's interesting is that uh, people that don't know you haven't been in your presence. You exude excellence, right? You exude a sense of. Uh, of pride, like you inhabit your body and there is a way in which a kind of strength and radiance comes out of you 
that is really powerful. And what I like about it, given what you just said, is that it's so authentic. It's obviously not performed. It's almost like by tapping the inner part of it, mm-hmm. right? You actually can embody the goal more than if you were trying to play to somebody else's tune. Uh, so I just wanted to, to reflect that, that back to you, that, that when I'm around you, you, you give off that sense of strength and excellence. It's, it's really helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I, I'm trying to remember the name of the silicon. Say, I said it's a sage of Silicon Valley. I'll, I'll look it up and, and put it in the show notes. I'm forgetting right now. But he wrote an essay that became popular about the importance of keeping your identity small, mm. uh, precisely because of what you just said. Uh, the more you bind yourself to an identity, right, or or to an ideology about what your identity is and should be, the, the more you close up possibilities. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think, of course, it's, it's, it's very different for a millionaire, billionaire, white Silicon Valley guy to say that, that somebody whose identity can put them under threat. I, I think there's there should be more sophistication to what he's saying. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't hold an important truth. Uh, and, and it's part of what I heard uh, in what you were just explaining. I think there's, for me, there's a, there's a yes and to that, right? Like there's a, um, like my identity um, as a black woman, like uh, as a black person, like is very central. And yet what I get to do by releasing an external look is um, be able to dive more deeply into all of the things that could actually mean, right? Like it, when you when you release the, someone else's um, definition of your identity, then you can use like, I'm really interested in how we take words and instead of like being like, that's not the right word, let me find another, we take it and we expand it, right? And so how do we make it as large or continue to make it larger and larger and larger and larger um, of all the things that could fall underneath this particular word or identity. So um, like I, I feel, I feel sage of Silicon Valley in like this, there is a way in which um, identity uh, um, can uh, make us, make us, make us smaller, right? Like when we are living inside someone else's, uh, um, picture of it, but I, I what I do is I love to play inside my all of my identities as a black woman, as a queer woman, as a as a person who's who's dedicated to art and culture in the South, and like all these things um, layer up to make really good stew, right? Like, and you can take a potato, an onion, and some garlic, and you can make a soup. You can make potato latkes. You can make mashed potatoes. You can make you know, like you can make all these things. With the same few pieces, and and I'm I'm excited about that. That that gets me. I like it. I like it. I like this too, uh, metaphor quite a bit. Um, Sage, I I wanted to start with that question, uh, and then I want to just give you an opportunity to tell us how you des- how you describe yourself, how you define yourself nowadays. I think of you as a cultural strategist. I think of you as an artist. I think of you as a thought leader. Um, what what role? What are the roles that you are practicing lately? Mm-hmm. It's a this is a great question because I'm playing with. I have a good friend who's a filmmaker, and she has a three word bio, 
And, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. If I were to try and figure out like, what is my, what is, what is my three word, word bio? And so I've, I've gotten it down to five is, is what I'm doing now. And, and so my five word bio um, right now is philosopher, strategist, movement worker, two words, and maker. Nice. Um, and I feel like everything I do and how I move through the world embodies not only all of those individually, but and um, the ways in which they intersect. Because oftentimes, um, theoreticians or philosophers are, are not considered makers or strategists, right? They're considered like two different camps. Um, in my mind, they have to be connected um, and and, and I shouldn't say for anyone else, I'm going to say for me, they are connected. They are deeply interconnected. I am excited about imagining and then making and seeing what happens after that, right? And watching its flow in the world um, and with a particular lens, which is why I, I include Movement Worker, because I'm, I'm the transformation of the world in which we live in towards justice, dignity, and honor for all of us feels really essential to everything for um, for me. And so this, this five word bio philosopher, which was really the first one I was like, Ooh, can I call myself a philosopher? Is that allowed? And I decided it is. <laughs> it is. Um, I, I, I think a lot. Um, I'm a double Aquarian. I think a lot. <laughs> and, um, I, uh, I have, I have theories and ideas about damn near everything, you know? Um, and, and then as a cultural strategist, that has been my, both my, my work, but I, I am, I've come to just name it as an integral part of how I believe change happens. Like it is the core of my theory of change to the transformation of this world uh, is around art and culture. Uh, and then a movement worker, because I don't believe we do anything by ourselves. We're not, we're never alone. We're, uh, I think we're, always interconnected um, at all times. And I, I, you know, so I I don't think about that as an individual moment. Like I'm a movement worker, which means I am connected not just to other, um, uh, uh, other folks who are intentional about transforming the world, but that I'm connected to an ancestral lineage of folks who have looked at what was in front of them and said, there can be something different. And I have some ideas on how to make it different. And I'm going to try and make that happen. And then I'm a maker, which includes my art, you know, um, complex movements. Uh, I have a collective with my partner called the Kinfolk Effect, um, my own personal artistic practice, writing. Um, and and really, I get such, I feel like satisfaction is a small word. Like, I, I, I know when I am on purpose, when I watch the seed crack the ground, I'm like, Yes. Okay. Like I'm, I'm interested in the planting of it, but when, when the first shoot cracks the ground, that is the most uh, um, intense, beautiful uh, uh, um, spiritual moment beautiful. for me. Thank you. Yeah. What a, what a yeah. thoughtful response. I'm appreciating it. I, I want to ask you a question, but then I want to make a comment. And, and the question is, I, of all of these things that you're focused on, I want I want our, our listeners and myself to hear. You know, what's the project? What's the effort? What is the thing that you are working on right now that is turning you on, that is capturing your imagination? And 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 the comment I wanted to make as as you think about that is when you talk about philosopher and, and maker and the connection there. I know 
that uh, one of the places in which you and I intersect is in our, our, our study and our work with complexity, right? And it seems to me that uh, as we move into ever-increasing complexity, the only way to say anything about it is by poking at it, right? Is by like having your hands in it. You do mm-hmm. something, it responds. You learn something, you iterate. It seems yes. harder and harder to kind of abstract the whole thing out, absent some kind of practice, absent some, some kind of engaged doing. So it doesn't surprise me that that, that you would land there. But uh, I am curious as to what it is that's, that, that, that is exciting you, turning you on right now. Wow. Oh. That that's like a thing. It's, <laughs> it's hard. Partly because I, I have come to accept and learn that uh, my mind works in systems, so everything feels so interconnected to me. Um, it's it's uh, uh, that it it makes me really excited. Um, I think the so my practice as a maker, as an artist. Um, Outside of a writing practice, I, I've been a poet for a very long time, but I've recently uh, uh, moved into um, a, a, a visual arts kind of installation with my hands um, making a, a type of practice. And that, and I'm doing that both with Complex Movements, the Artist Collective, um, here in, in New Orleans, here in New Orleans with the Kinfolk Effect, um, with Muti Reed, and um, also with Kai Barrows and Black Surrealism. Um, and the I have spent so much of my adult life, I, because of this complexity, right, I think a lot about networks and interconnectedness. And so it's been a lot about people, and, and their individual bodies and like who needs to meet whom where and how how that sparks something different and how this person's work connects with this other person's work and how can how can we all speak a language that makes sense to all of us so we can see how our work interconnects and and, and scales up to a larger sense um, but this this practice of making things is is new and and it has got me really excited because what I have come to understand through it is how that then shifts my th- how working with my hands shifts what I see and think. And so I was I I was working on this project and working on this project with a great artist named Wes Taylor about the transformation spiral and it was a theory I'm I'm playing with about how change happens and a time spiral and all this you know <laughs> and and so I was doing some writing on it and I was stuck and Wes who's a, a graphic artist and and a design thinker was like let's make some collages of spirals and I was like okay all right. I'm not, you know, and once I may started making them and then I would look at the spiral, I had a whole new fresh writing for the whole idea of transformation. Like every time I made a new collage, a new spiral, all types of new words, understandings of how this thing, um, how we are impacted by our relationship to time and context um, and iteration gave itself a, gave itself a new layer. And so I think one of the things that if, if I had to like, land on on I don't know if I, it's a project but a practice that right now I am really excited about that's really turning me on it's um, making things with my hands 
that is informing um, what I see in the world and 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 my theories and philosophies are intimately connected to the the process of physically making something. And it's it's a revelation. It's, it's that's beautiful. Yeah, it resonates very deeply for me uh, as somebody that that certainly doesn't make enough with my hands. Um, but there's other projects that engage my hands, like our community garden. Yes, right, which is not the same as making, but there is something about that engagement or cooking, even mm-hmm. right. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. It makes me aware that uh, that there's a kind of different intelligence that becomes available. Um, so what, what you're saying makes a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. I, um, I grew up uh, Catholic, and part of that process included like looking at the split between Catholicism and Protestantism. Mm-hmm. And... and I now, even now, uh, having a very different kind of spiritual perspective, I do think about kind of German Protestantism and it how it got rid of mm. statues and incense and standing up and kneeling down, and uh, there was a lot of ritual that you did with your body and that impacted your senses. And, you know, the idea was to, like, get rid of this church's mediator, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it was kind of reduced to yourself and the book, like what you read, right? And what you understood with your mind. And uh, I do feel like something gets lost there, right? It, it starts to bias the culture towards understanding with your head. Yeah. As opposed to, like, understanding with your body and your other senses and uh and for some reason, that that link came up for me, uh, just because I know that you are you are a very sharp thinker, right? Yeah. So to hear that you also now engage in your making and your hands seems it seems very resonant with a, with a similar process. Mm-hmm. For me. In, in in fact, uh, I could have answered your first question about what did you hold deeply that you've shifted with the same. <laughs> I shift, you know, I'm I. I take a lot of uh, um, heart and and instruction from the life of Grace Lee Boggs, who was shifting, who lived to be a hundred years and a hundred days, and and was a lifelong learner. And like this idea of like constantly learning, um, also to me is about like how we personally shift as we learn. And and having spent and deeply valued, like I. I like I said, I'm a double aquarium. We think, I think a lot. Like thinking is important. I have a lot of thoughts. I read a lot of theory. Some folks are like, oh, how can you? For me, it's really exciting. And, and often like, it's like, oh, it's the spark that sends me off on something else. Um, and a couple of years ago, I took my first course in generative somatics and was like, I'll say between generative somatics and just a history of of ritual, of drumming, dance, like the thing, you know, that that these things around our bodies, I think you're hitting on something really um, important for the next iteration of humanity. And it's about like how our bodies are tuned, how we are physically tuned, how we are, um, and by tuned, I don't mean around like health kinds of things. I mean, 
like a tuning fork to all the information that's around us at all times. Um, all the things that our bodies are telling us that for so many reasons um, we don't think about or our minds are holding kind of separate from us for sometimes really good reasons around uh, um well, actually, I think always there's a, the reasons. I won't get into good or bad. There are always reasons why we don't acknowledge things at particular times, but that our bodies will tell us um, when we're ready to listen. And I think this this idea of, of the removal of the having been to a couple of of Catholic weddings and like particularly, I'm like, oh, oh, I should have worn a different dress. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, this idea of our bodies being a part of how we understand the world um, feels really uh, exciting to me right now. Yeah, I think we're, we're totally, totally aligned there. Um, mm. For sure. It, it, it's definitely a wisdom and an understanding that, that, that merits more of our attention. You know, there, there's a lot there. There's, there's, yeah, it, it brings us, it brings us back to earth in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And you um, hear like little, little drips and drabs of it, like the, the institution of walking meetings. Everyone's like, yo, you should do walking meetings. Um, I don't know anyone who actually does it necessarily, but I, you know, but there was a lot of like talk about it a few years ago. Around yeah, no, I think, I think that's exactly right. And uh, it's interesting because the biggest complication with a walking meeting is, who is taking the notes, right? And but it seems to kind of fetishize the 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 writing of the thing rather than the process itself, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I mean, I, I, I said, have a walking, have a walking meeting. Come back and take a couple of minutes to write down the essence of it, right? Like that's that's it. That's that's it. Um, tell me a little bit about um, your work with. Uh, Complex movements, and especially, I bring it up because because I, I've been familiar with your that work and your work for a while, as from from early conception. But also because I want to know what does it mean to be an artist in a residence uh, at the Haas Institute? Like, tell us about what complex movements is, and and what does this mean for you all? Sure. Um, so, complex movements is a five member artist collective. Um, we say based out of Detroit. I joke my mother's from Detroit. That's why they let me hang out with them. Um, that includes myself, uh, graphic artist Wesley Taylor, uh, performer, sound engineer Carlos Garcia, music producer and filmmaker Wajid, and uh, community organizer, lyricist Ill Weaver Invincible. And uh, the five of us have been uh, working together over the last... I'm like six or seven years now um, uh, as a collective to build um, performance installations that support local organizing. So at the core, we're, we're complex movements and complex movements, the word complex comes from our, um, our collective belief that complexity science gives us a new way to think about how change happens in the world. Um, it, it moves um, from this idea of math, critical mass to critical connections. So at the core of all of our work is like, how are we supporting connections being made locally, translocally, um, person to person individually? What are the cultural practices that help do that? Um, 
And we do that through large, right now, large scale immersive environments. Um, a lot of our work um, is based on um, the work of Grace Lee Boggs, who I mentioned a little earlier, um, uh, and other folks who um, started thinking about, in the midst of movement, having had a, like long community organizing practices, um, started thinking about there, there are different ways we could be making change, right? Like there are, there are other ways and that sometimes the way that we think, the way we've been told change happens is actually a part of what is trying to keep us further from the change that could actually turn the tide, right? Um, and so um, all of the, all of the, um, so that's that's the core of complex movements. And you say we, uh, we're going to change the way people think about making change by creating um, immersive artistic experiences um, that help create new strategies for local organizing. And when we say new strategies, um, those aren't always campaigns against the government, but really at the core of what I think about culture is like how we be together. Like how are we being together and like how do we look and understand each other and the people around us as resources and and sources uh, as my friend Kim Peavy would say she's like there's resources that's great but we want to get to the source and the source is like our soul space how do we how are we connecting in our humanity and dignity um, and so complex movements um, we have toured um, we had a, a, a work called Beware of the Dandelions which uh, was um, beautiful um uh, multimedia experience that folks went into a pod and uh, um, experienced projections and music, live performance. In addition to that, uh, that body of work has a set of movement memory maps, um, which are stories told by people in their own communities uh, of how they've created, how they've tried to create change. Um, we do a lot of workshop series. Part of one of the things that I want to just highlight is, is in the midst of that work and in the midst of all of our work, one of the things we're really interested in is what happens inside community. So when we talk about like strategies and things like that, it's we're not always talking about like we're trying to change a government or a policy um, uh, um, campaign or things like, you know, when you think of cultural community organizing, sometimes those feel like that's the immediately place your mind goes. Um, but thinking about um, what happens while we're trying to like when when do we need to be able to hold and how do we hold each other accountable right what is it what is it what does love actually have to do with movement work and how is that practiced right um, how do we um, pull what is ancestral memory uh, and how do we pull on it um, to to think about what's um, what's the next step we want to take. Um, and so the, the Haas Institute is a really interesting uh, um, residency for us um, because it's it's um, it at its core it's around belonging um, and and um, like the 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 juxtaposition of othering and belonging and we're working on this uh, text called Tower and Dungeon which is about how space is designed by architects um, to either that space, spatial justice, how space can encourage belonging or actually encourage a sense of othering and make people not want to uh, um, be a part of it. And it's based on a book by a woman named Gloria House um, called Tower and Dungeon. And the same architects who built this tower of industry also built a prison and thought very intentionally about how both of those spaces were designed to make folks um, feel small who didn't belong, to make them feel unwanted, 
they're they're not logical like doorways that lead nowhere like it's really it's crazy that this was their intention and so we're we're using that text to say like if someone can be so intentional about designing a space and a, and a physical movement experience to make sure that someone doesn't feel grounded to make sure that someone never has a sense of uh, um, connection what does it look like to build space that does the opposite that makes you feel more connected that makes you feel a sense of, of groundedness um, uh, and so we're that that's sort of how we got to the Haas Institute and and why residency there is going to be really exciting we're interested in that space for us I appreciate it you're talking about belonging uh, because one of the points, so let me take a, a couple of steps back. I am working with a friend on, on, you know, we call it creating a space that is safe from safe spaces. <laughs> and uh, the, the reason for that is uh, because there's something around all the kind of tropes of wokeness, the kind of fragility, the way we center victimhood, that feels like it's like limiting um, what we can do together. And and you and I had a conversation, an informal conversation about this. So every time I talk with her, her name is, is Tuesday, a facilitator, Tuesday Ryan, her a facilitator that I work with closely. Um, you come to mind as somebody that I'm going to call when we finally figure out a way to gather people around this conversation, because you and I had a conversation on this. And the reason why it comes up now in the context of belonging and othering is because one of the things that, um, one of my observations is that we have a crisis of connection in the culture, right? And that everyone is impacted by it, including people that are, including movement people. And, and so a way in which we signal uh, that we're part of the tribe, right, is by, by shooting out these flares uh, that, that say, hey, I'm in, I belong, right? Uh, and, and there's all kinds of codes like capitalism or white supremacy or uh, cis heteropatriarchy. Like there's all of these words that, that they matter. I'm not saying that the words and the critiques don't matter. But a lot of times when I hear them come into a space, it feels a lot like like people are throwing flares up. And, and it feels like it's something that helps us know that we belong to the same tribe. Uh, but it also signals the possibility of exile, right? And even a fear of exile, right? So, so, so we do this like policing of each other uh, as a way to keep the tribe together. But it's a, it feels to me like a brittle kind of belonging, right? Like we know we are in this, but exile is always around the corner, and so. And so, like, everybody's afraid of saying the wrong thing, right? And so people then want to toe the line ever more fiercely so that they definitely uh, don't get kicked out. So it's almost like I'd rather be the person that kicks somebody out 
than get myself kicked out, right? And, uh, and so there's a way in which it meets the need for belonging, um, but it's kind of brittle in that way. And I'm, I'm curious as somebody that is looking at culture, looking at how do you practice love, looking at how you bring in ancestral wisdom, looking at how we are with each other. I'm, I'm looking as to how you grapple with, with that tendency um, mm-hmm. in our spaces. Yeah. So, uh, I've, you know, I've been t- actually talking about this a lot in the last couple of weeks because one of the things that um, has happened in, in the culture in which we currently live, which um, is very different than... Um, uh, uh, when I say ancestral, I mean like ancestral, like um, indigenous, like uh, history or, or spaces. Is is we don't have um, strong uh, um, practices or rituals, more specifically around repair, right? And because we don't, there's this this uh, this this brittleness that you're feeling to me is because you're either opt in or you opt out. And there isn't, there isn't enough, um, uh, um, there isn't enough space made for the in-between of in or out. This, these binaries are so damaging um, that it's not a question of out. It's just a question of how to stay in, right? Like what needs to happen. And so the, the, like I said, I've been talking about this a lot with with organizations that are trying to do racial justice inside them, and like when when the only people who are talking are people of color because you know the white people don't want to say anything because they might say the wrong thing, and like there, I you know I agree there is no there is no safe space. What we need to do is figure out how to make spaces where folks can be brave, and then how do we collectively care for each other on the backside of that? This idea that anybody, particularly in movement spaces, it bothers me because we're fighting against disposability yet treating each other like we're disposable and we're not. And as soon as we like single and like nobody, nobody it gets thrown out, right? Like that, that's not uh, um, uh, uh, a possibility. We, we, we can create more room for where and how, right? And what and what support and and I say that knowing full well that that there are um, horrendous things that happen in the world, right? There's a, a quote I came across the other day that said, um, um, "The goal of humanity is to to not have any illusions, but not be disillusioned." And so I have no illusions that there are, there are not people who are out here in the world intentionally causing great harm, and and you know. And still, we ha- I have to center on something, which is nobody is disposable. And so when things happen, when someone says the wrong thing or when um, uh, uh, um, I have to, there has to be a, a system, either personally or collectively, and I, I advocate for more collectively because that's where I think we're missing it, to, to get us back in right relationship. Um, uh, not just, I'm not, I'm not messing with you anymore. Um, although that is a thing, right? Like that is a, there's also this, like there are boundaries to be had, but the question is like, what is the, there's another, I I do a lot of quotes because I love them. I think it's really great. Um, it's like, um, boundaries, the way I can love you and myself simultaneously. 
And, and so I'm not saying you don't create boundaries or you let people just do whatever they want. But there, there, there was a time when there were rituals and practices, when we went through rites of passages, when we, we had very special, um, specialized gatherings. We had specialized drum rhythms. I mean, we had, everything was like tailored to like, what do we need to be in right relationship with each other in the land um, and, and our ancestors and all. And, and I think that's when I think about when I, what you're talking about, when I see it, it's a, it's a reminder to me that we are still trying to figure out how to build towards more humanity inside movement spaces with each other as much as we're trying to to claim our dignity humanity from oppressive systems um, that that don't see us. Um, we still need to build our lens inside movement spaces to be able to see each other if we're going to get to what we believe is the world we want to live in. Thank you. Thank uh-huh. you for that. Thank you for that care and for that wisdom. I, it resonates deeply. Uh, it certainly, yeah, it, it really does. I, I have been um, personally responsible for for hurting others in, in, in our context, right? And I have needed uh, to be restored, right? And I and I wish we had uh, those rituals in place. Um, and yeah, I think I, I do think it has to do with with not having. Uh, a, a coherent enough shared story that that kind of holds us together, it, 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 and and gives us a sense of, of belonging, belonging to ourselves and to each other and to something that started before us and that will go on after mm-hmm. us. And I think it 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 goes back to what you were saying earlier, also around and we'll bring back Sage from Silicon Valley, like this idea of this. There are moments where um, your identity. This is where the smallness of identity can be really valuable, right? Where where you're sort of um, pulling back all of the layers um, uh, of what makes us different, and not to discard them, but also to 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 set our our lenses for our collectivity, for our our similarity, for our likeness, not to homogenize us, but to find a name and practice that connection that we really have. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Thank you for that. I am, uh, I'm curious, uh, you know, you've talked about ancestral practices, you've talked about drum beats and embodiment, you've talked about generative somatics. I'm, I'm wondering uh, what you can share about, about your own practices, your own ways to connect to spirit and to ancestors and to yourself and how do you how do you cultivate um, this this lovely and powerful energy that you hold? Yeah. Um I <laughs> there there's a song that says uh um what is it? Uh you can't tell me oh darn it I can't think of it. But it's just about the people around you. It's something like um I have the best click, right? Like it's about like the people that and um, that you're around. Your uh, and so I've been really, really um, uh, lucky is is the word I'm going to use right now. But it feels so small. To early in my twenties, have met elders to have been able to participate in in ritual and spiritual ritual from different places from around the world. 
Uh, I spent a time working with an organization called the Spirit of Truth Foundation that um, gathered indigenous elders from around the world whose family lineages um, had been broken. Like no one in their family was going to carry on their traditions. And so they would gather, we would gather in, in the mountains of Georgia for two weeks every year with elders from all over the world because there were young people that they wanted to pass this on to because they didn't have their, their family, their direct bloodline, but they didn't want traditions and things to disappear. Um, and so I, I, I've spent um, uh, uh, at the foot of, uh, of folks who have... To be considered an elder in this, you had to have a, an established like 300-year uh, um, generational uh, um, experience of, of spiritual teachings. Um, and so um, having been there and and sat at the foot of, of shamans and um, sangomas, uh, um, priests and priestesses uh, in in a wide range of traditions, which was which is also a, a part of my framework, because um, I've never really settled into any particular. So I've I've been um, it, it also tuned my lens to the commonalities of so many things um, of, of spiritual practice and culture. Um, that that was just formative. In fact, it was so it was formative. Uh, and then um, after being with the Spirit of Truth Foundation for a while, I wound up singing in a gospel group. You know, and and um, uh, uh, with an amazing group of folks, um, the group's called Voices of Light. And, you know, they'd be like, all right, Sage is going on the weekend for one of her, you know, some sort of treatment. And then, you know, I'd come back and we'd, you know, go sing in a Mother's Day at a Baptist church in, you know, Mississippi, you know. <laughs> and so it was, um, uh, um, it was so all these practices I got to experience them in so many different ways and um, have learned uh, um, just really clearly. I mean, at the base, at the core of what I believe is that what we cannot see is more powerful than what we can see. That's just a core belief of mine, period. Um, and so I'll say in addition to that is that we all have access to more than we know. And, and actually the knowing is what some ways sometimes gets in the way of what we have access to. Um, and uh, have been in a practice of um, connecting to different ways of knowing, personally supporting other people in hearing and knowing information um, that is not in books, that comes through your body, that comes through you. Um, uh, and that has taken on many forms. It is it sings, you know, songs. And back to this idea of like, how do we tune this vessel that we have? I feel like song is such uh, a really um, uh, instrumental uh, um, tool in tuning this, in tuning these vessels that we walk in. Um, song, sound, that's what drums, rhythms. Um, uh, I also have a tarot practice that has has uh, stayed with me for many years. Um, and having spent uh, at one point, I was um, in a in a in a spiritual school for lack of a better term. Um, and having we were in ritual twice a week, every week for four years. And so this sort of 
it's, and I tell folks like, it's just, it's a muscle that we all have. Like we all have access to, to whether you want to call it the Akashic records, like you can call it all kinds of things. Like we all have access to these things. Uh, it's just about having spent time um, uh, with folks who were able to support and also growing that muscle for myself and believing that, that it exists. That's beautiful. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for for that generous answer. Amazing. The the breadth of practice. Um, it's perceptible in you. It, it, it really is. I appreciate it so much when I'm in your company and, and, and right now. Uh, part of what I what came to mind as you were talking about sound, you know, I I have I, I for a good period of time engaged in a practice of literally chanting, you know. And so, I, and and <clears throat> recently, I saw a little clip that talked about the people of Rwanda. So, when we, when the West sent help to the people of Rwanda after after genocide, they, they sent some therapists, and 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 the, the Rwandans were like, "Well, it's kind of weird, you know. It's like one on one, fifty minutes in a room, a sterile room. It it doesn't seem to be working." Uh, what they needed, right, was to sing together and dance together and play the, and listen to the drum together, to to heal from very 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 serious uh, a trauma, right? Uh, and uh, it, it, I, I wish we would we would give that more of a chance in our own healing. Nothing against therapy, particularly if you've been brought up and conditioned in a Western system. I think it's a powerful, powerful approach I, I, I go to it myself. Um, but this thing that, that you and I keep pointing back to, uh, the sound, the singing, the drumming, the dance, the body as medicine, I think is, is really important. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if you know, but my, my first career was as a therapist. Is that right? Like in, for clinical psychology, my advanced degree is in clinical psychology. I worked with, uh, for 10 years with people, serious persistent mental illness and HIV, um, which is wh- when I tell the story of how I got politicized, it was it was actually through that process. I'm working with my working with uh, w- patients, working with people, um, and part of what I really came to understand, both as my my spiritual uh, walk grew, I couldn't stay in that work in the same way, but also. It's 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 so individual, right? Like, and and just from a from a like a. political analysis, like how I think change happens in the world. Therapy is working on you as an individual, but then you have all these systems and things that you're interacting with. And I would see people try so hard, so hard, um, and, and not be able to navigate what was happening around them. But we weren't actually trying to do anything about what was around them, right? Like, so when I think about, like, things that are, are, uh, there's so many things that I was taught in school, you know, working as a therapist, you know, that were diagnosable that I understand differently now that, that, you know, I could, you know, some folks might have a checklist for me, you know, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I think I'm fine, right? <laughs> you know, um, um, but it's it's the ways in which um, medicine, Western medicine has decided, you know, what is acceptable and what isn't. Um, and we don't have a culture anymore that um, supports folks and their various abilities, not disabilities, but their various abilities um, uh, to be integrated into community. Right. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah. It's it's so powerful. I think this is the place where where you and I meet is the you know the paradigm that we are moving away from that that is still dominant that has shaped our world and is changing pretty fast is is mechanistic it's Newtonian it atomizes things right it kind of is reductionist and so um, when 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 we look at complexity when we look at networks when we look at systems what we're looking at is the way everything is interconnected it's an entirely other lens that kind of trying to reduce everything to like, okay, what pill can I give this one person uh, so that they feel better in a system that is not in any way designed for their happiness or their well-being? You know, it's a, it's a very interesting thing. It's how you end up with uh, the most affluent nations on earth also being the most depressed and the most medicated, right? And the, the most anxious. And it's a... Uh, it's telling that this is what, what, what we're yeah. And I'm, I'm appreciating the, the reference to complexity because some folks think I talk about it too much. I don't think it's possible. <laughs> uh, so I'm loving talking with someone who, <laughs> who brings it up as much as I do because I think that's also, um, even in our conversation about what happens inside movement spaces about in or out or kicking people in or out, like that is that is because we have, that that's because we're trying to reduce what's happening in the space to something that we think is manageable or, or a sense of sameness. And, and when we flip that and lean into complexity, then those, those moments of tension or those moments of difference are actually some of the most valuable moments uh, in, in a space. And how do we, how do we lean into that and not try and like excise it, right? Like, and not try to excise people um, that we that um, uh, uh, that we may be aligned with, but have disagreements around. Like, how do we actually work through that and create something, something new that didn't exist before that? Like, where's how does that that um, I have a, uh, an elder, Audrey Scott Williams, who talks about the point of radical tension, and like when a when a, a, a baby bird is trying to get through the shell, like that that the beak on the the shell is hurts like it's a point of tension and that is what cracks open the next right like and so how do we look at these moments not as like problems but um through through the lens of complexity of like this is actually part of iteration and is going to crack us open to what's next that's right i mean this is what i like a lot about um, adrian's distinction i don't know if it's hers but she's the one mm-hmm. i learned it from mm-hmm between restorative and transformative, right? Mm-hmm. To restorative justice, right, being to restore, to bring things back into balance. But transformative being how do we how do things become better than they were yeah. before the harm was caused, you know? And uh, yeah, I, I think I think it's something something very deeply resonant mm-hmm. uh, for me to, to think about it in that yeah. way. Um, we're coming up on our time, and I wanted to. Uh, there's a couple of questions uh, that I that I like to ask, please, my guests, uh, and of course, give you any opportunity to to, to drop any further pearls of wisdom, mm-hmm. tell us where to find you, that kind of thing. Uh, the first one it is connected to to this conversation about uh, transformative justice and, and harm cause and all of these things. So, uh, I have made this commitment to myself uh, that when I'm talking to powerful women such as yourself, um, uh, 
in this uh, post Me Too moment, as I as I work with men, as I gather men to to find ways for us to to atone for what we've done, to to become better, to to restore and transform um, the way in which we show up in the world. Um, the question that I have for you in, in, in this patriarchal system is, what did you say to men? What do you think men should do uh, to become better? Oh. Um, one of the things that... I am aware of oftentimes with uh, with men is their level of fear and the lengths they will do to cover that up. You know, um, and I think that what um, is a total reframing available? Like, is that an option on the table? Totally. Right, I think bring it, bring, bring it. <laughs> total reframing um, around um, strength, around uh, value that that needs to happen in the world in general. And I think part of that is being held um, very strongly uh, by men um, that this uh, perception of any type of emotion or vulnerability um, is problematic, is a weakness, um, is uh, um, part of why the world looks like, is, is a good part of why the world looks like it does, right? So like, I really want men to sit in a room, a bunch of, and just cry together. Like, I want that sort of like, like, I don't want to see it. I don't need to see it. But I think there's like this, this practice of like, how to, how to, to know in your own body the sense of strength a great weeping can give you, right? Like, I, I want, you know, um, and, and, and yeah, like, it seems, it may seem, I don't it doesn't seem counterintuitive because of, of how I frame, but I think that similarly, like, similar to, to what you shared with me earlier about, like, what are you experiencing, like, how to understand like really what it means to be in touch with yourself that doesn't involve your hands or fingers, right? Like what does it mean to, 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 to find that and, and have that space. And part of that is to back to this idea of like radical tension, break open. Like you got to crack that, um, uh, um, that the shell actually see what's inside that is ready to take flight and so i do i want so yeah that's that's kind of where i'm landing i'm laughing at myself but and i'm like is there something more profound but i absolutely think that what i'm saying is true i want groups of men all around the world weeping together that's so beautiful that i can't i i don't know that there's much more profound than that i think i think you're right on i think that that really resonates deeply thank you for saying it and saying it so beautifully and Oh, with so much compassion, so much kind of care in your heart for it. Um, I agree. I, I, I definitely agree. Um, and I'm committed to that process for sure. So thank you for oh, that. Thank you. Um, the, the more yeah. that you do, the less I have to do. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're working on. That's what we're working on. Taking responsibility ourselves for sure, mm -hmm. for sure. 
Um, so the other question is is required. You know, it's a, it's a little bit of a time travel question. Is that but the light touch facilitation says it requires your consent. <laughs> uh, so so. If I could invite you, right, to, to, to leap into the future, to do 20 years into the future, um, a generation in, and consider that, that you have continued to say yes, that much of what you're working on within yourself uh, and in the world has come into fruition. And of course, some things haven't and some struggles continue, but that you've grown, that you've evolved, that you've learned, that you've contributed even more um, and, and you don't have to describe that future to me you just have to uh, see it for yourself um, and if you took a moment to see it and then in that shape and that form of the future come back here to us um, what would you say what would you say to yourself and what would you say to us from that perspective I I wouldn't say anything. I would be singing. I would just sing. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm almost stuck now because I'm like, what do I want to sing? Like I just want to, uh-huh. like I just, you know, I, um, it's it 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 isn't words. Like it's it's the resonance of the of the, uh, um, in in both of my body and and. The, the idea of the way sound travels and like never hits anything and is both inside this vessel and uh, moves and, and our interstellar friends are hearing it. Like it's, um, yeah, I would, I would I'd be singing. That's so beautiful. That is so moving and so beautiful. And it resonates to me with me at so many levels, uh, you know, uh, and, and we are at time, but I can't not, not share this. I remember a friend of mine, uh, her name is Cindy Suarez. You might have met her. She, she's wrote a book called The Power Manual. Uh, but she, many years ago, gave me a, a set of metaphysical books. And, and I would never have read any of that stuff unless it was her giving it to me because I kind of respected her intellectually. She's another. Puerto Rican woman, a black woman from here from Boston. And I could just trust her thought enough to read these books. And they were, uh, they were uh, collectively, collectively known as the Seth books. And, and in it, the, uh, he, there were channel books. I mean, wild stuff. And they would go to these places in dreams and through other forms of travel where they would meet these speakers. And the speakers would transmit wisdom uh, through sound, right? Not necessarily through words, but through resonance and vibration. And and I have been reading those books when I kind of stumbled my way into into my yogic practice, which included a lot of chanting. And I had a series of experiences that way that, that made me really get, you know, the power of resonance as medicine. So... I just think it's a it's a total blessing that that's that that, that that's how you've concluded. I, I appreciate you so much. Uh, thank you for oh, saying that. Thank you. And I'm I feel like I want to find these books now as well. So <laughs> uh, uh, send you a note about them for mm-hmm. sure. And um, uh, yeah, so 
either now or, or through an email, if there's anything you want to tell us about where to find you, where to find your poetry, where to find your art, where to find your work, um, anything you want to say, and of course, send anything you want to send for our show. Oh, I, uh, I'm just grateful for this opportunity. It is, uh, it, it, I, I get to talk about a lot of things in this world. Um, um, uh, and, uh, this conversation is one that I will treasure and treasure. Um, and I'm excited that it's out. It will be out in the world amongst all sides of things will change and blah, 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 you know, like all these things. Um, uh, and, and for the way that you hold the space for, for those of us who get to talk to you, um, to show up in all of our fullness, in all of our, our, um, uh, in all of our dignity and, and, um, and share with you, you create something very special. Uh, and, um, I think folks can just Google Sage Crump. I, I you'll find what you find, and that's what you're meant to find. Beautiful, perfect. Thank you so much, Sage. I got a, I got goosebumps in terms of like the kind of authenticity of our connection. Yeah. I am appreciating you so much. I can't <laughs> wait to put this out. Uh, thank you. I'm very, you many blessings to you. <laughs>